I'm very excited. We are, um, you guys know me, I get very excited when I get to preach and I get to speak about uh, the things that God is doing. Uh, so we're going to be continuing in this Esther series. So uh, we have, um, we've been going through Esther uh, 1 through 5 uh, with Brian. I'm going to be focusing in on chapters 6 and 7. So if you've got a Bible around you, you've got a Bible app, um, just go ahead and grab that. Um, we're going to be skipping around a little bit, but um, even though we're not going to be reading both chapters uh, right now, uh, I do want you guys to just spend some time. If I mean, you got some time. You're home. Come on, just do this. Uh, just read through the whole story. It's a great story. Uh, and we have to remember that. Remember, all biblical stories are, are real people, real circumstances, things that really happened. Um, so just read through it because I think that it's an incredible story. Uh, if, if you read through chapters 1 through 5, if you're catching us up uh, with what we've already gone to. I, I got this visual picture of it's just kind of like an Eeyore story, you know, like chapters one through five. It's just kind of like this, wah, wah, you know, it's kind of this really sad, you know, we've got all these, these things that are kind of coming together. You know, Esther becomes queen. Mordecai does save the king's life. But even in the midst of all of these really good things that are happening, Haman, who has been the right-hand man of the king, is still winning. You know, he's he's gotten the king to make a decree to kill all of the Jews. Uh, that's still on right now. And it just seems like there's a little bit of kind of a hopeless vibe right now. And um, and so they're looking at this Jewish death decree, and, and they're just kind of in the midst of this kind of burden of what is going to happen. And uh, one thing I was thinking about as I was rereading those chapters 1 through 5, and I think it is so easy for us as Christians to kind of stop mid-story. Kind of, I would call them like chapter 1 through 5 Christians, you know, where we, we read through all these things, and, and we see kind of small things happening, but overall it just seems like evil is overcoming or hard things are overcoming, and we just stop there. You know, like in our mind, we just stop at like chapter five and when we're pretty depressed and we're pretty down and we become, you know, these, these Christians that think, well, this is just how the story is going to go. You know, and I just want to encourage us, don't be chapter one through five Christians. I think in my life, it is, it has been hard. You know, I've had different times of really good things and really hard things. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to get into chapter five and be like, well, well, that's the end of the story, you know, and you kind of walk away and you're kind of sad about it, you know, but don't be like that. Don't be the Christians that, um, that see what's going on in the world and don't have hope, that don't have life. You know, I really want to encourage us to look looked past that and recognized that there is, is something coming, that this isn't the end of the story, that there there is more to come in what God is doing. And I think that um, for all of us, especially as we're, we're in this time of uncertainty, we don't know when all of this is going to end. Um, but even in the midst of this real uncertain time, we know that this isn't the end of the story, that what is happening right now is not the end. We're just in the middle. And so just keep that in perspective as we're going on. And so, uh, again, let's go back to the story. So we got the Jewish death decree that's coming down, and we're, we're heading into chapter 6 right now. And um, we have a couple of main people in the story, and one of them is the king, uh, King Xerxes, that is uh, ahead of everything. So we enter back into the story, and one of the very first things that happens in chapter 6 is that uh, we, we enter in and we see that the king is trying to sleep, and he just can't sleep. And I think that we've all kind of, especially now, I'm in mean, such a weird sleep schedule, you know, that, you know, you're trying to go to bed, you can't sleep, you're just awake, and you want to you find something that's going to help you sleep. And 
I think it said he he asked his servant to go get the book of Chronicles. And to me, I don't know. This is this is you know a Janus interpretation of this a little bit. But I, I'm wondering, you know, is he like, let me find the most boring thing that I can find and have like a little bedtime story to head back to bed? You know, let's go get the book of Chronicles. You know, it's like reading Numbers. You know, if I was really tired, I'd be like, let's just jump into Numbers. You know, that'll be a real fun read. Uh, you know, so I wonder if he was doing that. And so you know, he has a servant. He he gets it in and he gets the book of Chronicles. And what, what that basically is, is it's, it's this, uh, this running story of all the things that are happening in his reign. And so, you know, he's, he's probably lounging and, is, you know, hearing this story. And then all of a sudden the story about Mordecai saving his life uh, is said. And he's like, well, what did we ever do for Mordecai? You know, did we, did we do anything for him? And his servant was like, we actually haven't done anything for him. Uh, and so I don't know about you, but when I get an idea like, oh, we, we should do something, you know, I want to talk to a whole bunch of people. I'm like, well, what should we do? You know, like, we got to do something big, you know. So I, I try to find people that, you know, oh, who could I ask? Who could I ask, you know? And so I think that's what he's doing. He's like, you know, who's in the court? Who can we talk to about this, you know? And so his servant, they, they go out and they see that Haman is actually in the court. Now, remember, Haman, uh, not a good guy. He was the one that is trying to kill the Jews. He's the one that doesn't like Mordecai, uh, but he has a lot of power and authority in the kingdom. And so he is actually on his way in uh, because uh, he, it's just so ironic. Uh, he's coming in because he wants to talk to the king about getting Mordecai killed. So he's like on his way in, you know, on a mission, ready to get in there to talk to the king about Mordecai. And at the exact same time, here we have the king randomly, right, randomly waking up and looking at the story and saying, oh, what can I do for Mordecai? So they're both thinking about Mordecai, um, but they, they join up, they get Haman, they bring him in, and he's like, what should I do? And this is so interesting. This question that the king uh, asks is, is such a coincidence, right? Like, how do these both things happen at the same time? And I think that it's such an interesting thing because I think that so often when we see coincidences in our life or like moments in our life, we just think, oh, well, wasn't that nice that that worked out? And we don't recognize them for what they are. Coincidences, that's a hard word, uh, is a plan in disguise. And that's what I love about the book of Esther. You're never going to see, and God did this, and God did that, and, and thus saith the Lord. You know, we're so used to that, you know, in Scripture, because God makes himself so apparent and clear in other books. But in Esther, they, they, there's none of that. We have to look into Esther and recognize the things that are working together. We're having to work a little bit harder in this story to see what God is doing. And if we start to begin to think that these coincidences are part of a plan, we begin to see how much God is at work. And um, this idea, I love this idea of a plan in disguise, you know, as if he's trying to, like, be covert, but he's really he's really not. He really wants people to see. I mean, think all the way back. I mean, what do we know about Esther? Esther is an orphan. You know, here is someone that should have been the lowest of the low in a Jewish family. Again, lower, you know, on it. So we have this orphan that was in a Jewish family. It was, it was very much a custom for uh, family members to adopt or take care of family if, if p- their parents had died, which they had. And so Mordecai is taking care of him, uh, taking care of Esther. And then all of a sudden, you know, the queen is gone. And so now they need a queen. And here we have Esther that happens to win the beauty pageant and happens to become the queen and gain the favor of the king, who's a little bit crazy, if we haven't noticed. He's a little bit nutso, you know. And, and so all of these things are just piling up, you know, and then all of a sudden Mordecai happens to find the plan um, of the king, um, of someone trying to harm the king and kill the king, happens to save his life, and then all of a sudden now it happens that at the very moment that Haman is coming for the destruction of Mordecai, that God is using the king, God is using the king 
to save his life. I mean, all of these coincidences is God's plan all the way from the beginning. And I think that even in our lives today, I hear this more than anything else, is that people are, I don't see God at work. I don't hear God. And it makes me so sad because if if you spend any amount of time with people and you're looking for it, and you say, okay, God, you're, you're, you're doing things in everybody's life. You promise that. And you begin to look for them. You begin to see God working so subtly and sometimes not so subtly in moments, in circumstances, in conversations that he is constantly at work. And I think that we have this mindset that we're looking for, like, the big cloud or the booming voice. You know, like, we want something big and cool. Like, I would love that. You know, I would love, you know, like, riding in the sky or something. You know, um, But that's not always how he works. He says that it's a, a still small voice. And so God is, is constantly at work, and we need to be aware of that. And we need to be aware of that in our own lives. And I think that as looking as I look at this story in Esther, I have a lot of empathy and compassion for them because we, we're kind of looking at hindsight. We already know the end of the story, you know. So it's easy for us to be like, oh, of course it all worked out, no big deal. You know, but as, as they're going through each step, it's a big deal. You know, they don't know if they're going to be killed. They don't know uh, if Esther can approach the king. All of these things are unknowns. And so they are constantly making these steps of deep faith and trusting that God is at work. And that's what I want us to be doing. I want us to learn how to look at these things, these coincidences, these moments in our life that God is using and recognizing that they're part of a plan and to begin to put those things together so that we can better see how intentional God is in our lives. So let's head back into the story. So we're back to the king and he asks this question, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? You know, I love this king because he is so passionate about things, you know, for good or for bad, you know, so, you know, he, he banished his wife because she just pleased him, you know, he, he made this decree against the Jews because Haman was like, we should do this, you know, and, and here he is, he's, oh, I'm so excited about this, let's do something big, he's like a big, you know, like, let's do this, and I love that about him, a little bit crazy, but I love that about him, you know, and so he's like, what should we do to honor this man? And as Haman's approaching the king, and uh, obviously he hears this, he's the right-hand man of the God, who of, of the king. Who, who else would he try to honor? So Haman's thinking, uh, who is there that the king would honor rather than me? It's got to be me, right? I mean, he's this guy. I love Haman in so many ways because he's like your villain that you love to hate. You know what I mean? Like we just, oh, Haman, you know? And um, and he's like, who would who would anybody want to honor rather than me? Obviously, it's me. I'm Haman, you know? Like he's like, you know, he's got the walk. We all know what it is, you know? And and he's got this this vision of pride that that everything is just about him and everything, you know, he's he's really directing the kingdom right now through the king. I mean, he really has to have this this really big head at this moment. And so he's thinking, you know, what what could I do? And uh you know, I think that it's so easy for me when I look at um people in scripture, I always want to be like the good guy. You know what I mean? Like I want to identify with the best. I want to be like, oh, I'm Mordecai. You know, I'm the very faithful, you know, guy that adopts people and takes care of people. But I started thinking about this this week and I realized that I identify more with Haman than I really like to admit. Um, But I think it's important for us to all be honest with each other is that uh, that pride for me is something that I've always struggled with. That there's, there's times in my life where I enter into things and I become good at them and then all of a sudden instead of being like, man, I love doing this, I'm so happy in doing this, I get a lot of joy out of doing this, it becomes about look at how great I am at doing this. Wow, look at, look at me, I'm amazing, you know, like, and, and so when I look at Haman, I actually get a little bit convicted because I recognize that there's so much of Haman in myself. 
there was a time in my life when I was working at a camp called Calvin Crest. Some of you guys might know it. Um, it is just above Oakhurst, just a little ways up. I worked there for, uh, I think it was 11 summers and five years full-time. So almost a third of my life I was working at this camp. And I remember the first day I got a call. I was so excited. You know how passionate I get about things. So I got this call that like, oh, you get to work at camp. I was like, I was like jumping up and down. I was like, yeah, you know, I was on speakerphone, you know, and, and all the staff in the back was like, this is so great. I'm like, this is so great. You know, and I was so excited. I had, you know, I just get very excited. Uh, and, and I got this call. I was super stoked. And so I started working at camp and year after year, I would, I would go back and I was so excited and, and things were new and I got these different jobs. And I realized after a time, there was a shift that had happened, and uh, I'm not exactly sure which year or when, but uh, instead of becoming about, I'm so excited to go and to serve, it, my mindset became like, oh, I'm so good at this. Look at how great I am at this. You know, like it, there was this, this really prideful mentality that I got. And um, we had a couple of camp pictures just for, really just for your entertainment and amusement. Um, and as I was at camp, there is, uh, we all have like camp names, you know, like you have like special names. I worked in a place called Sherwood Forest, which was like the Robin Hood theme and whatever. And so we had to like hide our names from the sheriff so that he wouldn't know our real identities. I know, it's really cool. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so like if my sister's name was Ellie, so it was like Ellie Vader, you know, you, or Ellie Fent, you hide your name, you know, in, uh, in the thing, or, or Zed was Return of the Zedi. Mine was actually from a Vanilla Ice song. Um, it was Janai Size Baby. And since that's a mouthful, it ended up being this shortened version of Ice. So all these people, you know, I'd be walking around and be like, Ice, what up, Ice? And I felt so cool, you know, like such a cool name. It's like a gladiator name, you know. So I was like, oh, hey, Ice. I'm like, eh, 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 you know. And so there was this mentality that came with this persona of Ice, that, that was really prideful and it was really like just this, you know, look at me, I'm Ice, I'm blah, 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 you know. And, and I think that I was, I was thinking about this. And so when Haman is, you know, so much focused, I think that we're so easy to demonize him and to villainize him. But I think that there's so much of what we have to look at in him that can, can oftentimes be in us. You know, how easy is it to go from this place of, I love what I do. I'm using my giftings. Uh, you know, I, I get to, I like, I love teaching. I love doing this, you know, and, and when I'm a good spot, it just brings me joy and peace and life and excitement. Um, but how easily does it turn into other things where it's like, oh, look at me, look at how awesome I am and, and the things that I'm doing. And um, so when, when Haman is going, you know, who is it the king would rather honor than me? I get it. Like, I understand what he's saying because it is so easy for me, and I don't want to speak to all of you, but some of you might be experiencing this, for us to just kind of turn it to ourselves instead of to God. Look at all the things that I am accomplishing uh, in this, you know, and I think that as we look at the story, we recognize that Haman did accomplish a lot. I mean, he, he was the head of the kingdom. He did incredible things for the king, but he was doing it within himself and for himself. And so uh, let's take a look at um, at what that has done for him. When we get into the areas of real pride, where that actually really leads to. We look at, uh, we're back at the story and it says, you know, Haman's answering the king and this. And he's like, you know, he's thinking for himself. He's like, well, what do I want? You know, like, you know, he's like laying it on thick, you know, like, what can I think of? You know, and so he, he made a list of things. He was like, wear a robe ride the king's horse, wear the royal crest, and be led by a high, high official. You know, he's gonna, he's like, really, I want all of these things. I want people to know that, like, the king and I were like this, you know. And, um, 
And he wanted somebody, this is, this is like the icing on the cake. He wanted somebody to lead the horse and say, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. I was like, that is just icing right there. You know, like all these things, that's good. But to be led and to have somebody be like, this is the honored man. This is the honored man. You know, like that's just icing right there. And we see that when somebody is trying to honor themselves at some point, it says there's pride before the fall, right? That is absolutely true in this story. So as soon as he, he lays this plan out, I just, this is probably the biggest burn in all of the Bible, the biggest diss of all time. If you just love that stuff, here it is, is the king goes, great, do it for Mordecai. That is my favorite part of scripture and definitely in this thing is where it's like, wonderful, do it for him. You know, and I could just, I can't imagine what that felt like where he's just like here and then he's just like, oh, okay, you know. And so here he is, so so Mordecai is being led and Haman's the guy that's doing that, what shall be done for this man, you know. And I love that because, you know, here's Haman in all of his works and all the things that he wants to do, just propelling himself forward and God is saying, you are not the one I want to honor. I want to honor Mordecai. And so therefore Mordecai will be honored. I love that. It really puts in perspective for me when God wants to honor someone, there is nothing that is going to keep them from being honored. And it's not always this, this obvious, you know, like I don't get, uh, I've never had a horse and a robe and all this kind of stuff, which is probably good. Again, pride issues. Um, but, um, but this is incredible what God does for us. And so after all this is going, you know he's super embarrassed, you know, he's he's really dejected when he gets home. So he goes home and he starts talking to his advisors and his wife. And it says this in Esther 6.13, it's on the screen if you want to look in your Bibles. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. They recognized at this point that it wasn't about Haman and Mordecai. Haman wasn't actually going against Mordecai. He was, he was trying to kind of divert the plans of God. And here, this is so powerful because here's someone that, that doesn't have any, it's not a Jewish faith. There's, you know, there's nothing, but this is an outside perspective looking at Mordecai and recognizing who Mordecai serves. That, that they are saying that you will never, you will never succeed in your plans because you are not fighting Mordecai. You are fighting Mordecai's God and you will never succeed against him. And so that is just one of the most powerful moments in this story is that here, I wish, I wish this would happen to me. I'm side note. I wish that people would look at my life and say, man, there is nothing that is going to succeed against Janice because look at who Janice serves. You know, I would love that. I would love for people to see me and to just see God and recognize who's really behind me doing everything. You know, like they, they just say, oh man, God is so loving. God is so kind. God is so powerful. I, I, I want that for my life. I want people to see me and recognize me and see the God that I serve. And, and this is what is happening because of Mordecai's life and the way that he lived. These advisors are looking at Mordecai and seeing God and saying, look at this God whom he serves. He is never going to lose. And the hard part about it, I think it's easy for us to just rest in that, to rest in how powerful and how awesome God is. But the, the reality is we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow God and what he is doing, or are we going to go our own path? If we go back to Esther 4, 14, it says this. 
This is Mordecai talking to Esther uh, as after the decree has started. Um, he's trying to get her to go talk to the king in order to try to um, get the edict changed. So this is Mordecai talking to Esther. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. God's plans cannot be defeated. If God really chooses something and he's like, this is going to happen, and he speaks that, it's going to happen. There is nothing you can do. Uh, Mordecai recognized that. He recognized that even if Esther was not a part of this plan, if she chose not to participate, that God would bring someone else. God is constantly rising people up to do his will. And sometimes we look at the world and we, we see how hard it is. Like right now, it's very hard for a lot of people financially. We're at stay-at-home orders. There's a lot going on. Uh, and we think, you know, like, oh, you know, what's what's God doing in this time? But we have to recognize that God is is always doing something. And we have a decision that we have to make is to continue in his plans or to not. And even at this, this time of sheltering at home, we are not um, excused from our two greatest commandments, which is to love God and to love people. And so at this time, instead of being like, you know, oh, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to relax and do nothing. What a great time to spend more time with Jesus. What a great time to spend more time with God. You know, what a great time to reach out to people in ways that we don't normally reach out. Because no matter what is going on, whether it's a pandemic or something else, God's plans are not going to be stopped. He is still at work. He's still doing things. And he's asking us to join in. And we have a decision to make. Are we going to join those plans and watch these miraculous things happen? Or are we going to do the other thing where there's consequences? If we move away from God and we choose not to do the things that he has for us, it's very clear in this passage that there's consequences to that. You know, and it's not that he wants pain. It's not that he's causing pain in people's lives. But there are consequences when we move away from God. So just just keep in your mind, everybody's got their own circumstances. What is God asking of you? What part of his plan are you playing? And are you joining with him or are you saying no? And you might look at your life and be like, oh man, I've been saying no in this area and I need to kind of get back in. You can do that at any time. Jesus accepts it all the time. So I would say go back and do it. So Esther is having to make this this tough decision. We do know that she does go to the king and she asks that they start having these banquets. So she keeps inviting the king and Haman to these banquets. And, and so she has this banquet and then she has another banquet and she invites them again and, and she says, hey, come one more time and I'll give you the request that I have. And so the king and Haman join her for this beautiful banquet. So there's just this spread, this table spread of just like food. I mean, in my mind, there's just tons of food and, you know, Everything that's there because I just love food. So for me, it's just like piles of food on this table, you know. And um, and so she's she's talking to the to the king, and she's like, you know, I have a request of you, and he's like, up to half to my kingdom, whatever you want. And she starts to lay out very wisely, I would say, you know, there is someone that is trying to destroy my people and myself. And the king, you remember, the king is crazy, so he's like, oh, what can I do? You know, he's 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 all about it. And so who is this person that is trying to destroy you? And Esther, man, she is so powerful in this moment. She says, uh, the adversary and enemy is the vile Haman. So all of these things have been happening. Remember, you know, Haman has been succeeding and then all of a sudden Mordecai is honored. And now here we see God working in this really kind of just crescendo of the whole story is, is now, you know, she's really coming before the king and saying, it is your advisor that is trying to destroy the Jews and my family. 
And, you know, we, it's so, I don't think we understand how powerful this moment is because remember before he was displeased with his wife and he sent her away. And so she is really resting on the fact that God is going to work in this situation. And the king does. He leaves for a minute and comes back and, and basically orders, uh, Haman's death. And, you know, we, we, we look at all of these things. I just think of this whole story is that, um, God is at work in everything. And even in chapters 1 through 5, even though, you know, I, I started this this whole thing with how depressing this is and how sad this is, but even in those moments, everything is being orchestrated. So when we feel that evil is overcoming, when we feel that evil is winning, just wait. Don't stop mid-story. Don't ever stop mid-story. That there is something to come that God is always at work. So if you're feeling that today, that is my biggest encouragement to you is that you recognize that God's plan is always at work and it will never be thwarted. And there's, there's, and just to kind of sum it all up in probably the best way that I know how, I don't know if you guys know the A-Team. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. It's a great show, also a good movie. Uh, and at the end of the A-Team, it would go, I love it when a plan comes together. And I feel like that's what God is saying in Esther. I love it when a plan comes together, that this is, this is what will always happen, that God is working his plan out. So don't stop in the middle. Keep going. Uh, so we're going to have the worship team come on back up. I'm going to go ahead and pray real quick. Jesus, I just love your word, God. I love the way that you work through Esther and Haman and and Mordecai, that, God, that you're using everyone. God, that you even use those that are super struggling to enact your plan, whether they recognize it or not. God, I pray that you would just, in each of our lives today, God, that you would just give us hope and life, God, in this time, God, that, that we are not dismissed from your plan right now, God, even if we're sheltering at home, God, that you desire for us to love you and to love people. So, God, I pray that you would give real wisdom to each and every one of us. God, how can we love those that are around us, God? How can we continue in this great commission that you've given us? God, I pray that you would encourage everyone that is listening to this, God, give them hope and life and love, and God, just continue to unify us in your spirit. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name.